So this is what happened, listeners. I just got a new computer because uh, I finally have money and I needed a new computer uh, at this point. And so I ported over some things from my old computer. The only things I thought were necessary. But but when I ported over the audios from the two episodes that we had recorded before editing them, one on this topic on theodicy and the other... Oh, wait, this is not an episode about theodicy. <laughs> one on the topic of This theodicy. is an episode about nothing! <laughs> it is... Uh, it's this is an episode that is sound and fury signifying nothing, as yeah. that one guy might say. Okay, let's call it. Um, and Don't explain anymore. And so I thought I, I thought I lost these episodes. Let's just end it. Let's no. But, let's end it. And so I was like, Matt, we really need to record because we're we're gonna be really behind. And he's like, Fuck you, Joe. I hate you. Fine, I'll stay up until the late late hour of nine twenty three p.m. and record this episode with you. <laughs> and. I could have been gaming right now. <laughs> he, he could have been gaming right now. And as I booted up Audacity, it said, oh, did you want to recover this project? And I was like, hell yes, I do. So. You fucked up. God damn it. This. Welcome, traveler. Dungeons and Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing games, philosophy, and theology. What's up, Joey? Whoa, Matt! I didn't even see you there. How you been? <laughs> funny, funny running into you here. Funny running into you here in our in our clean feed studio. Damn right, the studio. The uh, now the the booth. The I'm I'm got my cans on. As they say in the industry. We would know because, you know, we are in this industry now. Yeah, that's right. We're professionals. We got no sponsors, but you know what? It could happen. It could. In fact, if you're interested in sponsoring us, hit us up on Twitter. Yeah. Or Patreon. So um, so you did something really horribly wrong then. So I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in the hands of an angry god, as it were. He's so angry all the time. And if we had not just gone over Job two weeks ago... You might come at me and say, oh, you are suffering because you must have sinned. But we just debunked that claim, if you'll remember. Sometimes God just likes to make people suffer for fun. For no reason, some might say. Yeah, for no the reason. The Bible would say that. Actually, you know, I was driving around town and I was listening to this fire and brimstone preacher on the radio. Yeah. Um, just because that's the kind of guy. I have, I I have am, a friend, I mean. Austin. Oh, yeah. Austin listens to them just for funsies. Yeah, me too. It's pretty. I think it's fun. Yeah, but so this guy was trying to reconcile God's eternal immutable nature, which you know many theists believe Mm -hmm. in. I don't really think that's in the Bible, but they believe it anyway. I mean, I guess there's quotes in the Bible that you could read that way, but whatever. Anyway, uh, he's trying to reconcile that with God's, like, God's always changing his mind and, like, doing different action activities mm. and stuff. He didn't do a good job reconciling it, but, um, you know, whatever. It sounded good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this will be a brief parenthesis about the immutability of God or the immutable nature of God is that that is not a belief that is consistent with what the Bible actually says. Absolutely. The, Beli- the Bible has God change all the time. God changes his right. mind. God of the of Genesis 2 is very different from the God of, like, John, for example, in the New Testament. Oh, yeah. And so, like, you, what a lot of theists who believe that God is unchanging will say is that, oh, God is unchanging. We just, we just didn't understand God correctly 
or perfectly. And we can never understand God. The closest we can get is understanding God by analogy. And so, like, so every once in a while, like, our analogies will fall short in different ways. And that's why it looks inconsistent, just because we have a, we don't have the full picture, uh, which is, like, a fairly reasonable thing to say. You know, the the thing is, I, mean, I, I can't help but think that the obsession with no change at all is a sort of infection or contamination from Greco-Roman philosophical culture where being or reality or, or whatever word you want to use, like the, the highest, the <clears throat> utmost, is time isn't real, you know yeah. what I mean, for, for them. So like the more real it is, the less time is a factor. Yeah. So if you're trying to reconcile those two pictures... It doesn't make sense to say that God changes over time. Yeah. Um, but if you're not, if you don't buy into that philosophical tradition, then it's there's no reason to be like concerned about the idea of God changing. Yeah, exactly. There might be some reasons. No. Uh, well, I guess. What would I know? <laughs> what would you know? I mean, you're full of shit. I'm full of shit, as we it's all true. know. There. Um, you keep changing the subject. But it is true, and that which is becomes yeah. combined with God in the period in which. Um, Jew, Judaism is exposed to Hellenism and yeah. so they start kind of like reconciling this and they come up with this concept of God who is right. unchanging, Beautiful. omnibenevolent, omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient and omnipotent for people who are confused by my strange pronunciation. But, I mean, honestly, it was sort of going in that direction. If you go through the Bible sort of chronologically, you'll start with Job, which is the oldest story, then I think like Genesis 1 and 2 are some of the oldest stories. And you can see that God becomes, as you go on, more and more like powerful and closer to omnipotence and omniscience and omnibenevolence. I think there are good um, sociological reasons that can explain this shift, though, just naturally, if mm-hmm. you think about it. So like, if you start in a society that's uh, polytheistic, mm-hmm. and then you move to society that's like henotheistic... Yeah. Henotheism, again, is worshiping one god, but recognizing that there are many. Right, and then you move, you keep moving up that ladder. Yep. Um, how, what's the structural mechanism by which that's going to be accomplish, accomplished or accomplishable? It's by coalescing the capacities and powers of other gods into the, into the god that you've chosen to puff up, as it were. Well, there are, there are two ways to do this. And both of them happen in the Bible. So it's a really good case study for what you're bringing up is that one way is you do what's called syncretism. So Mm -hmm. you decide that this God and this God are actually the same God and you attribute two aspects or something. Yeah, You attribute everything that that God did to you. So a good example of this is the Ugaritic God El Uh and Yahweh, which is the, the Jewish God. So these were two different gods originally, and they were syncretized into the same god? More or less. The thing is, is that, like, everybody had, like, a god that was of their people, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not like they were... They were different gods, but they occupied a similar function in the pantheon. Um, but in the encounter... So, like, structure, structurally speaking, it's insi- it's like how... I mean, it's hard to do with the Indo- quote-unquote Indo-European gods because there's an evolutionary trajectory here, but it would be like, you know, how, I don't know, like Odin and Zeus have the same function or whatever in their respective pantheons. Yeah, yeah, like they have similar functions in their pantheons, but I think that those ones are sufficiently distinct that it would be hard to syncretize them. Cause if- well, that, that, that's why I was trying to, like, not bring it up because there, there's yeah. like a whole complicated story about how the Indo-European pantheon exactly. evolves over time, but let's not get into yeah, that. Yeah, whereas, for example, like gods like Jupiter and Zeus are much closer in uh-huh. the way that they are, so they can more easily be syncretized. Right. So that's number one. 
So a good example of this is that L is uh, is a Ugaritic god that um, well one lends his name eventually to to God in 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 Hebrew scriptures. The word for God that is used in Genesis one and throughout the Bible um, is Elohim, which is the plural mm-hmm. of El. So El, meaning God, comes from El, the name of a god in a different pantheon. And you can even see this in different names that pop up. You'll see a lot of especially angels like Michael, Michael, or Raphael, Raphael. In the name Israel, it's Isra, wrestle with, and El, God. Ah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So it's named for for Jacob. Jacob becomes named Israel because he wrestles with a being on the banks of the river that may or may not be God. And so they say, oh, he who has wrestled with God, Israel. Isn't that, that's like a big thing, wrestling with God. Lots of people have been doing that. It is. I I wrestle with God all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, brother. Yeah. (laughs) As for me, I'm wrestling with the devil over here. Good thing the devil's weak, so you can win. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. You know what? I'm glad you said that. That's a different episode for a different day, but the more I hear about this devil character, the more I I like him, but not because he's like this evil monster, because he's like passive and weak, oh. which is very, you know, I'm very into Yes, because you are also very passive and weak. That's right. I'm the most passive, weak person there I is. I know, I know. So the, that's the first thing you do. You syncretism. The other thing you can do is you can turn the other gods into a devil or a demon. Oh, yeah. I, I hate that so, shit so much. Oh, my God. Beelzebub pops up in the Bible. And Beelzebub is really just like, I don't know, it's like a, a Reddit troll name for this other god. From the same Eucharistic pantheon, it's the son of El, whose name is Baal, which just means Lord. And so Baal like rides the clouds, he has these two hammers, and he creates storms and shit. And so he beats back the sea, Yom, in this like story, because the sea is like trying to come onto the land, he destroys the sea and like sends it back into the the like the ocean where it belongs. And so the two, this is a good example of both things happening. One, they start calling Baal Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. Yeah, well, is that a joke because he used to fly around? It's a joke because they were like, oh, your name is Lord? Well, you're just Lord of the Flies. Oh, man, that's not funny. (laughs) It reminds me of being a child on the the playground. (laughs) Lord? More like Lord of the Flies. (laughs) So... (laughs) You know, classic. And so he becomes a demon. Yes, classic shit. Basically. Oh my god. And not cool. The other thing that they do is you'll notice in in Exodus, one of the biggest scenes in that story is when Moses parts the Red Sea. And the song that follows him parting the Red Sea that I think Miriam sings, sings about, oh, God came down and beat back the sea. And the language it uses is really similar to the myth of Baal beating back the sea so, so wait, in his story. Do you think that is the Moses story an appropriation in an attempt to re-describe the Baal myth in a L acceptable format? In a Yahweh acceptable format. Yeah. yeah, well, or, whatever. Um, yeah exactly. I, you know, I would have to check if, if they're using Yahweh or Elohim in that particular tradition. Whatever, that's not the point. It's not the point, um, but... It's like, yes. oh, you've got this story about what your God did? Well, actually, my God did exactly. that, and you're like you're misunderstanding what happened, because what really happened is like yep. uh, they, they, they did this other dumb thing. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there are a few different ways to read this. So it's cultural appropriation. Yeah, it is cultural appropriation. It, it is, it's sort of cultural appropriation, but it's also like you take the same sort of building blocks of a myth, and you use them in different ways to tell a different kind of story. Well, I would, I would say that it becomes appropriation in this context, 
right? I'm not I'm not trying to create an account of what cultural appropriation is. But it sounds like it becomes are. appropriative. Well, <laughs> if I say if and only if, then you'll know. In this context, only insofar as you're taking this, the same building blocks, but you're using it to delegitimize someone else's usage. So there are two ways of seeing this. One is to de- delegitimize the use of Baal in this way. Dude, I'm a ball worshiper now. But you, you, you've ball pilled me. <laughs> there's another way that you could read this as they're taking the story that is kind of famous about a god repelling the sea, and they're turning it into an account of God liberating the oppressed. And they say, "Oh, well, your god did this for like X, Y, Z reason. Our god is doing this because we were oppressed, and our god is a liberating god." And so it is a way to sort of like comment on it. So that's maybe a more positive way of viewing it. And I'm not saying I. Oh man, fuck you, Joe. I just you know you're full of shit. That's not why they did it. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> I think there can be multiple reasons and. Okay. And one thing I just want to name that we mentioned in another episode about Promethean figures is, mm. you know, we're talking about this sort of as like an evolution, but really it is a more dialectical process. Ooh, so you have like one idea of God bumping up against this other idea of God. And eventually, uh, like through the years, these two ideas become synthesized into something else. And right. then that becomes like a new thesis that approaches another antithesis and those get synthesized. And that's how you see the development of these conceptions of God is not yeah. necessarily linearly, but through kind of dialectical conflict. Okay, so we were talking about how... Also, just with reference to God changing, I'm sort of going in like backwards order here. Yeah. There are theologians, so there's some theologians that think that, oh, God doesn't change, our understanding of God changes. There are other theologians, like, for example, process theology, which yeah. we'll have to do a whole episode about because it's really complicated but one of the ideas about god is that god does change because god is in relationship with us and together with god we are co-creating reality and history and etc so god has to change necessarily to be a co-creator with us of a reality that continues changing but caveats there are certain things about god that never change so god's goodness god's love etc those that sounds those like change. Ins- that sounds insufficiently radical to me because I mean I feel like you really want to g- like couldn't you say that God has a- has changed to become a loving God? <laughs> <laughs> God is either um God is either a hundred percent loving or a hundred percent hating. Yeah, there you go. This is the two the two genders. Yep, hate and love. I mean, I'm I'm very sympathetic to. We, we, we will do an episode on yeah. this. I need to read more about it because I actually don't know all that much about it. But I am sympathetic to process thought in general. Like, I'm, I'm not as familiar with process yeah. theologies compared against process philosophy, but they're, they're related. They, they are related. And it's, you know, the, the integration is that, and I don't know that much about either, but that process theology just says... I don't know shit. Just says, that, oh, you know how in process philosophy there are all these forces that are kind of pulling on us and everything is, it's like everything... Are, is like a model or is a process, not like substance, for example. There's a movement away from like philosophy. Substance is a static category. Whereas process theology posits that basically everything is a kind of a process that's ever changing. And so what they say is, well, if that's what you're saying about everything, then we'll just say God is like that too, with a few special God things that make it special. Process theology is a really good way of conceiving of being a dungeon master because the dungeon master is God in that like they have control over like the world and they are sort of outside of the universe as a process theologian might say and like the universe is contained within the dungeon master but that instead of being a demanding force that comes in and like 
basically like forces your will onto the players, you try to be more of a coercive force, like helping guide them into in the direction of a more fulfilling story. And you are a co-creator of not reality, but like of the game world with them. Dude, my, my headphones are going to die. Is that the takeaway? That's the takeaway. This was, you know, some might That's say... That's what this hour of talking was about? Oh my god. So last, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about... No, are you, are, do you actually want to do more? The Odyssey. And, you know, what Bart Ehrman says about the oh, Odyssey back, I do love Bart Ehrman. Do you love Bart Ehrman? Yeah, dude, because he's like a uh, cool dude. Bart Ehrman says the Bible never deals with the problem of evil. Wait, Joey, are you serious? You want to do more? I can always... Bro, it's like two hours earlier for me. I have nothing else to do tonight. Okay, well, I'm done. You're done. Bart Ehrman can... Yeah, I'm done. Bart Ehrman can... Wait, fuck Bart Ehrman. I'm, and my, my <laughs> headphones are bad. All right, that's fine. So, that's we're done. All right, well, I guess... But look, that that's that's my closing line. You're talking about some bullshit. I don't know. I was ignoring Great. you. I, um, my closing line, Bart Ehrman, go fuck... <laughs>